Welcome back to a place called Porch. Today it's a pleasure to be with Brandy Chun and Blake Crook, who are both here at the Porch Band of Creek Indians Museum, which is also called Githla and Jugo, which means building of learning. Um, at this time, I'm going to have Brandy and Blake kind of share with you what their title is and what it is they exactly do here at the museum. So, Brandy, if you want to go ahead first. Hello, I'm Brandy Chun. I'm the museum coordinator. And so my title encloses many things. So the museum coordinator, I guess what initially that I'm supposed to do is make sure that the museum is ran properly. Okay, so you make sure that the museum's ran <laughs> properly. And what is... What does that look like for you? Like, what's a what's a normal day for you, Brandy? So, daily, each day changes. So, we have many things here. We have a gift shop. We also, or we are educating the public. Um, we have people coming in um, for tours. So, our main mission to me is um, educating, educating the public, as and, well as our own tribal members. And and then you also have um, you also have like a vault or an archive kind of system here. We do. We store. Um, artifacts and things that are pertaining to you know porch creek history as well as creek history and so from time to time you guys have people that will donate items we do we do so our intentions on donations is to use those as a teaching mechanism okay so our plan is not to put things you know just in the vault to hold them but also to be able to display them at times so okay and Blake, what do you do here at the museum? Uh, so I'm the gift shop clerk slash receptionist slash Brandy's right-hand man. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I I'm, I'm, run around. I, primarily, I, I'm in the gift shop, but I do I do a lot of work outside at, at the in the lobby, at the vault, uh, helping with tour groups, uh, you name it. I'm, I'm running around doing a little bit of everything. And so it sounds like you are like a sponge, maybe, and just learning a lot of different areas of the museum. Absolutely. I've learned tons since since started here three years ago. And I also know that just from our conversations, like, I know if, I'm, if I need something at the museum or something at the gift shop, like, you're usually my first point of contact. And I'm like, hey, Blake, I'm looking for this item. Do y'all have it in stock? Can you hold it for me? Can you? <laughs> I'm, I'm headed up there right now. Um, but I also know that you enjoy reading a lot about um, history. And, and is it just specifically Creek history or is it all history? Uh, it's all history. I have a fascination, especially U.S. history. Uh, I dabble in world history and then obviously Creek history. So. I'll read a lot of books that pertain to Creek history, U.S. history. Uh, I've dabbled into the Civil War here recently. So just anything that that connects me, you know. So let's talk about how you um, you both are connected to Porch. Because I think that any time, um, you know, people come into the community, they're always trying to seek how do we connect to one another, you know? Right. And so, Brandy, how do you connect to the porch community? So, my mom is Mary Louise. <laughs> Mary Louise. Mary Louise Boyd, and she's married to Dean. So, my mom's mom's name was Bertie Mae Sales, so, and then she was married as a Hamburg. So, and then, just recently, we found out that Howard McGee is her dad, so... I'm the granddaughter of Bernie May and Howard McGee. So um, my family ties back. We lived here forever. And so my connection to Porch has always been through my mom's side. Okay. We run back through, you know, the Creek lineage on my mom's side and then her mom's and, you know, Hattie. Yeah. You know, so we run back through that. And Blake, what about you? How do you connect to Porch? Yeah. So my, my mother is Sherry Walker Crook and then, uh, my grandparents, our great-grandparents are Woodrow and Estelle Rowland. And then I go back to the Mamie and Lawrence McGee. So, and then obviously from Lynn McGee. So, um, I do come from that McGee side. Okay. All right. And I, I just always like to ask that question because um, I think that it's so important to show, like, we're all connected. You know, we're all connected and I think people are always interested to know, like, oh, we've got that same family member, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, we keep a, um, a family tree. So I have my family lineage here. And every time someone comes in, 
we'll pull out that family tree and I'm like, okay, now show me on this lineage where you are. And then I'm like, okay, yeah, we're cousins because I'm tied right here through, you know, these people here. So that's exactly right. And I, and I just think, I always find that so cool that, right. you know, even though like our community has gotten so kind of widespread, we've got people everywhere. Right. We all can trace back to the right. same handful of people. So usually the first question when people come in, we're like, okay, you know, are you Porch Creek? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, we're not trying to be, you know, intrusive, but we're trying to figure out like, okay, if you're Porch Creek, what family do you come? Now that's not offensive to me because we've always said that here uh-huh. in Porch, like, hey, how, who are you? You yeah. know, who's your family? Yeah. So when people come in here and we like found out they are Porch Creek, we like to know, like, okay, what family do you come from? Yeah. So that's that. And then that leads to conversation. I mean, we have talked to several people and realized, like, oh, my goodness, like, these people live, you know, all, but they're coming back and, you know, we're and, tied to them. And I think it's also cool probably for y'all to know that because there's there's certain exhibits that highlight right. certain people or certain families. Exactly. And I'm sure that if you kind of have that insight and that information, you can say, hey, you know, did you know this is part of your family? Right. And I think that the museum is a work in progress. We're never going to be stagnant. We want to keep, you know, ideas, you know, fresh and people coming in and they're saying, hey, this, you know, our family did this. We want to hear those stories. So just by conversation, kind of like we're having today, it kind of opens the door for us to say, okay, well, that's a great story. I'm going to get your contact. We would love to have pictures of you. We would love to have your story here in the museum. So it is it is a great way for us to initiate, you know, progress in the museum. Absolutely. And so now, Blake, um, you talked about your fascination and love for history. And I can imagine that that's maybe what drew you to work in the museum. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. So uh, ever since I was younger, I always had a fascination for history. Um, Even in high school, I had an award for the Daughters of the American Revolution, uh, which was an outstanding work in American history. And and then yeah, I have ties to the tribe as well. So it's just learning tribal history, too, and learning where we come from. So it's, it's it definitely drew me to, to the museum. But now, Brandy, your background's actually in healthcare. It is. So how did you end up in the museum? So, um... So I worked at the Cancer Center in Monroe, Monroeville and Monroe County, and then also at Bruton. So I was a radiation therapist, and I graduated from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Well, um, you know, I love what I did. I love what I did as a radiation therapist because I got to take care of cancer patients. You got so personal with them. Um, and just behold, I mean, I've always been here in Porch. I've always been interested in porch history and things like that. I mean, we were always connected here, but I'm not sure maybe I was in the right time and the right place because they were needing a museum coordinator. Um, You know, I think the museum kind of sat without one for a couple of months or a year or so. And just being at that right time and the right place, you know, I was like, well, yeah, I might be interested in that because, you know, I had the background of, you know, knowing history and things like that because, you know, it was just interesting and fascinating to me and the stories that I've heard. Um, So I put in for it, you know, not even thinking that I would get it because I love what I was doing as a radiation therapist. But what had happened, what was changing for me was they were thinking about shutting the museum. I mean, the the cancer center in Monroeville. So I was like, well, I I really don't want to travel to Mobile anymore. I've Mm -hmm. done that before. Um. So, and I was at the time, like, my girls were, you know, in school, they were starting elementary school where you really needed to show up at their programs and show up and working at the cancer center. I I really couldn't just tear away to be at one of their programs Mm -hmm. because your, you know, your patients need you to treat, to treat them. So again, being at the right time in the right place. And I think Carla Martin, who had that vision and, you know, saw that, you know, she believed that I can take the museum and kind of you know, take it somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I put in for it and I was kind of insecure about it. And I was like, I, I'm stepping out on unknown territory. Right. I mean, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I have a phobia of speaking. And the main job here at the museum is giving tours. So I was like, oh my goodness, how am I ever going to be able to do a tour? So I put in for it and um, I, I got the job. I mean, 
So I come in here and I was like, okay, first of all, I do not have a lot of museum backgrounds. I've been to museums. I know that, you know, but there is a whole spectrum to running a museum. I mean, exhibits, you got to have the right font, the right, you know, the people, you know, that's presentable to people. So there was a lot of things that I really did not know about the museum. Now, history, that comes easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. We can do history all day, but when it comes to presenting it, how can you present it that people get it? Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, I was kind of like, okay, I was feeling insecure about it. But again, um, I'm currently enrolled at um, USA and I'm, you know, getting my anthropology, my second bachelor's degree, and I should graduate in December. But also will be receiving my minor in museum because I wasn't happy where I was. I was like, I'm wanting to have that in my belt. We can talk, like I said, we can talk about history all day. But if you don't know how to present it to the public, you know, it's just it's just going to stay with you and not with them. You know, you're not going to be able to deliver the message. And Brandy, how many how many children do you have? I have three, three girls. You've got three daughters, and they they range in age from. Um, Jason's 20, Macy's 17, and Danny's 14. Okay, so you have children. They're not little children, and they're not grown adult. Well, you got a 20-year-old, so I'm sure she thinks she's fully grown. Yes, yeah, she does. <laughs> she does. But she's a good child. I have yeah. to put that in there in case she listens. <laughs> no, I know. She's she's a sweetheart. But, um, but Brandy, how inspiring for you at this time in your life to say, you know, I'm not finished yet. You know, I've had one career in radiation doing therapy and I loved what I did, but this was a new opportunity and I took a step of faith and I know that I'm not where I want to be yet, but I'm willing to work hard and I've got the passion and the drive to do it. And so I'm going to educate myself. And I, and I think that also speaks to, how much you care about the quality of the exhibits here and the things that are available to not just tribal members, but to the general public as well. And so I really commend you for that and give, like, I applaud you for that. The main goal was that was to tell you that my kids were my main mission to be closer to them and not had to travel so far. And then when the job came open and then the employer the Porch Fanning, uh, Porch Fanning Creek Indians as an employer, they have been fabulous. Um, I think they believe that family is first, you know, and I've, you know, of course, don't, you know, abuse that. But I think that if you have a sick child or so this this place has been good for me, you know, working for the child. But anyway, and I th- no, I think that's I think that you said a mouthful and right. that at the end of the day and for better or worse. Right. The tribe is about the family right it's about the community right and i really commend you for saying you know what it doesn't matter where you are in life right if you want it badly enough you can do it well when i talk to my girls it's like i'm a role model but a role model is somebody that's action not talk so i was always telling don't be intimidated don't be intimidated if you want to do something go after it well, then I was like, well, I was intimidated. I was like, I can easily quit the job that I'm intimidated by because I'm not prepared. Mm-hmm. But in order to get prepared, you have to take action. And I was like, well, I can't stop here because my girls are looking at me to see if I'm walking what I'm talking. Mm-hmm. So, And I'll tell you, Brandy, there's actually some studies that have been done. I don't know if you've ever watched, uh, read the book Lean In, but there are, there's some research around why women feel intimidated yes and why women feel inadequate um versus um men who often feel i can do this whether i have the credentials or not i feel like i'm gonna be okay whereas women feel like we have to be prepared we right. have to have all the ducks in the in, in a row prior to sitting right. at the table well i think women we lack confidence because one, we don't want to be boastful and we don't want to be bold. So in that, we don't have a voice. Sometimes we're like, well, I don't want to be out there out front center stage. But then we lack confidence because it's like, first, we don't believe in ourselves. So in order for me to teach that to my girls or anyone that I have contact, not just my girls, because I'm hoping that I will influence people too, 
Take a leap of faith. Don't stay where you are if you want to go get it because it's there for you to have. Mm-hmm. And who better to teach the Porch Vanna Creek Indian history than a Porch Vanna Creek Indian? That's right. So I couldn't agree with you more. And like I said, I really commend you for bettering yourself well, and saying, you, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not happy with my right. knowledge. I want right. to know more. I want to dig deeper and I want right. to be the best that I can be for this time right. in my life. Well, when I was changing, I was kind of insecure about the job anyway, because radiation and radiation therapy and treating cancer patients is so rewarding. So you're, you're stepping out of place where it's so rewarding and then coming to a museum where you're kind of like, Okay, how am I going to be impactful here? How am I going to reach and teach or deliver my message that I want to be and be impactful on people? It happens every single day. There's a reward. You just got to find it each day. I think that, you know, me and Blake, we find it. We find that reward. And it is very rewarding to work here. So, Brandy, talking about finding those nuggets and those treasures um, that make your, your job here rewarding, you guys have done, you and you and Blake have done a lot of, and let me caveat by saying, I know it isn't just you two. Right. Yeah. Um, we have Carmen Long, who's my museum assistant, and we have Nikki McGee, who's also our front office person. So it does take a team. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, you know, the, the, um, also the teams that support you. Um, oh, yeah. Like Cultural Carla and Mindy Cultural. McGee. Yeah. It is and a then group the Tippo. Yes, so and then archive, so it is a group effort, so yeah. And so, but in you guys developing or, or the music, so the museum was already developed whenever you stepped into this role. Um, but since that time, you guys have made some changes and you've um, started implementing like some kind of seasonal exhibits, is what it looks like to me. So, like, I'm going to ask you. Since you've been working here at the museum, and how long have you been working here? Uh, three years now. Okay. So in the three years that you've been working here at the museum, what has been your favorite project that you've been able to work on? So here lately, um, the Chief Calvin exhibit was actually the first exhibit that I got to put my hands on and actually do a lot of the research and work um, into it. Um, but I did help out with the previous exhibits, but I think the Chief Calvin McGee exhibit was the first exhibit that I actually had my hands in, um, like, since the beginning. Um, so I, I have a lot of recency bias for that exhibit. But that exhibit, uh, we uncovered a, a ton of stuff. Um, so for me, that exhibit has been my favorite. Um, but I know Brandy has her favorites, and then Carmen may have her favorites, and Nikki may have her favorites. But... Yeah, the exhibits that we do, we, pl- we have developed a idea to do at least three a year. And so right now we have the Chief Calvin McGee exhibit, which I highly encourage, if you're listening, to come come check that out. We put a lot of work into that. And how long will that exhibit be up? So I, we haven't fully decided. I, I know we plan for October, and I think that's the plan for now. It could change, but I, I do believe that's the plan until now. So, Blake, why don't you tell us how you all decided on Calvin McGee as the exhibit here at the museum? And that's here in the lobby um, for anyone who hasn't had a chance to come by yet. It's in the main lobby. But tell us how you guys decided to start off with that exhibit and maybe walk us through the process and the research that you did to get it to where it is now. Yeah, so... Brandon and I and everyone here has, we have created a Google Doc sheet that has potential exhibits. And it's about two or three pages long of potential exhibits we would like to discuss here or to talk about. And so one day when we were all together meeting, we wanted to, we were discussing what exhibits we could do next. So we knew that since the pandemic, we haven't had any events. So leading into 2022, we had high hopes that we were going to have in-person events and Chief Calvin McGee was one of the first events that would happen within the year. And so we had created this idea of a multi-part exhibit that focuses on all the porch leaders. And so we thought chapter one would be great for Chief Calvin since he was the first officially elected chief of the Porch Band of Creek Indians. And also there is a lump of information already on Chief Calvin. So we thought it'd be an easy start, easy, 
easygoing start for an exhibit. And, but we realized real quickly that that's not the case. There's a lot of hard work that goes into an exhibit. <clears throat> um, so you have your initial planning meetings. You, you, we meet, we would meet weekly. And then we brought Tribal Historic Preservation Office into the mix with their help. And then we also reached out to archives and gave them this big plan that we had planned to unveil a, an exhibit on Chief Calvin McGee on Chief Calvin McGee Day. Um, so we got the ball rolling pretty early. I want to say January, which was probably late, I guess, in the brand scheme of things. But um, so it initially begins with small planning meetings of ideas um, to what we want to incorporate into the exhibit. And then it began, then you begin the, the hardcore research. So we were finding books. Um, so we'd go on eBay and Amazon and find all these books that maybe had a brief mention of Chief Calvin. We were going to archives, like, look in your database, and if it says Chief Calvin, we want to see it. We want to get an idea because we wanted to make this exhibit more personal. Um, we know Chief Calvin the chief, but do we know Chief Calvin the person, the father? Yeah, so we wanted to make Chief, the Chief Calvin exhibit personal. So we wanted to incorporate uh, family belongings, anything that belonged to Calvin. Because we have pictures, but pictures only take you so far. So we wanted to make things or bring in items that may have belonged to him. And if we could find audio recordings, if we could find video recordings, anything that would bring him to life. Um, and, and I feel like we accomplished that goal. So one thing... This is a fascinating story I really want to tell. So I've, one day in a meeting for this exhibit um, between myself, Brandy, and the Tribal Historic Preservation Office, we were in the talks of this, the exhibit and what we wanted to incorporate. And we mentioned we really want Chief Calvin's original headdress. And so from pictures and stuff that we had seen, we knew that he had three. And... We weren't sure where any of them were. So I had mentioned to everyone, do we know where Chief Calvin's original headdress was? And Larry Hakey, our Tribal Historic Preservation Office, said to me, I heard he gave it away. And I had said, well, where did he give it away to? Or do you know who he gave it away to? And maybe where at? He says, I'm not sure to who, but I did hear one time that it was given away at the Battle of Horseshoe Bend dedication ceremony. And so I said, that's interesting because I have a stack of <laughs> pages right here and I did see one that talks about it. So I, I skimmed through there and I, and I found the page and it was a transcript from the event. And it mentions where Chief Calvin gave away his headdress to a guy named Judge C.J. Coley. And so I spoke out. I was like, well, man, that guy probably took it. It's probably stored in an attic or a basement somewhere, and it's long gone. Well, Mallory Gibson, who was there with us, she looked uh, she looked him up on Google, and she said, what's his name? Was he a judge? And I was like, yes. So she said, well, he's dead now. And I was like, well, I figured as much. Well, because it's from a long time ago. Well, he said, but he was also the pre uh, Alabama the president of the Alabama Historical Society with ties to the Alabama Department of Archives and the uh, National Park, National Park Horseshoe Bend. And so I'm like, well, that's good news. If maybe this guy knew what he had and he could have donated it to the Alabama Department of Archives. So Brandy and I got together that afternoon and we decided to call on the off chance that this headdress could still be found. And so we reached out to the Alabama Department of Archives with all this information that we had gathered from this meeting. And they said, not to get your hopes up, but we think we may have it. But we're not 100% sure. So Brandon and I kind of looked at each other and our heart kind of stopped and dropped. And, you know, but it, when they read the transcript, that, that it matched the transcript that we had sitting there in front of us, we were like, that's it. That's the headdress that we want. Remember? Absolutely. So... Uh, they said, let us go double check and see if we have it in storage. We think we do. We'll call you back. So they hang up the phone. And so we're, we're, ha we're having to play the, the weight game. So we were all just 
jittery. We're like, man, this headdress has to be there. That pacing no back and forth. We were pacing back and forth. Yeah. Like we're calling people like, hey, we found it, but we're not even sure if they have it yet. Because but, the, the good thing about an exhibit, we can have paper and pictures all day. But if you don't have content as like people like myself, I want to see something to make this exhibit pop. Mm-hmm. So we were searching for that. Yeah, so uh, later that day, we get the call back and we're like, Hey, Brandy, guess what? We have it. And <laughs> so we looked at each other and we, we high-fived each other. We, <laughs> it, 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 was, it was a beautiful moment. But, it was a moment of glory right there. Yeah, so, and, and a lot of people and, don't know it. And we talk moment. about that one of those rewards working at a museum. It's something that hasn't been seen in our community in over 50 years. Right. You know, like Chief Calvin, that, but that also shows Chief Calvin's character. He gave that headdress away. And, and, and that it was, was his original that, headdress that he was elected yeah, in. Yeah, the and one that, that he wore when he was elected, elected chief. chief so. And so, you know, it was very important to him, but to him to give that away to a guy who was a friend of the Creek Nation east of the Mississippi at the time. And it shows his character. But the fact that we were able to find it and something that belonged to him and something that he cherished and something that was very important. Um, chief Calvin knew that Creek Indians were not or did not wear the headdress and the war bonnet. But during this time of the 1950s and 60s, it was a, it was important because Congress and these, these businessmen that were involved believed the Indians looked a certain way. And so Calvin would wear this to, to make a statement and to, to play the part that these people expected him to play. But that headdress was very important and helped us to help lead us to federal recognition. Yeah, it defined Calvin so much, the headdress. Like you, we knew Calvin, but when you saw a picture of Calvin, you saw that headdress because he was trying to bring that recognition of Creek people still in Alabama. So we knew if we can get that headdress, it was like that's the story that Calvin, you know, what he was telling. And I'll tell you something, like I want to touch on something very important that you may not even recognize that you said, and that is... That headdress to Calvin held a lot of sentimental value. It was important to him, and he gave it away. And to me, that is a true testament and statement to our Creek culture and how deeply embedded it is in each of us, and especially in Calvin, because that is a that is a distinctive Creek trait and a cultural element of Creek culture and and Creek tradition that even if it's something that's very near and dear to your heart, if somebody wants it or if somebody admires it, you give it to them. You give it away. Right. And that's a, that is a Creek A very humble, Mm -hmm. humble person where you can take what you have, but, and still give it away. And I think it also speaks to a, a broader message, which is, don't be too attached to things. Materialistic. Be, be things. attached yeah. to people. Right. Don't be so attached right. to he things made that, that connection. you can't give them away. Exactly. Mm-hmm. On the exhibit, we did explain, you know, and, you know, people can see why the headdress was so important to Calvin. But you're right, you know, so important that, you know, I think even Joycey had helped him with making some of the headdresses. I'm not sure if it was that one, but... You know, and then for him to turn around and give that away. And then for us to bring it back here mm-hmm. and where we're at now was so special to yeah. us. You know what I mean? So it I mean, made its way full circle. It, it did. Found its way back home. It did. Definitely so it was circle. like the whole full sor- circle, like you're saying. Like, he gave it away because he was so humble enough to, you know, he respected, you know, the judge so much. But then for us to get it back and say, it came back here, Calvin. Yeah, you know, so yeah. it was a How good feeling. Yeah. yeah, so but that's only one part of the exhibit. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it, for for Brandy and I, I think yeah. it was the cherry on top for the exhibit because it, it it came there toward the end. We were pushing to get this exhibit done and ready for Chief Calvin Chief Calvin Memorial Day. Yeah, but another thing that we had from that day was the um, his speech that he gave at the um, the horseshoe being um, so. I have never heard Calvin's voice up until that point. And to be able to hear him speak and you're like, oh, my goodness, his picture and his the way he talks, that that's that's how I would imagine that he talked, you know, and just hearing, you know, you can tell a lot about how people speak and their mm-hmm. character. 
And um, I caught a lot of that. So we have that as well in the exhibit of him speaking, and he's giving it away. So, you know, that's, that's another. So we have the actual speech um, where he gave the address away uh, on display in the museum. So we have that on a loop with another fascinating video that we found. So uh, we found a live video footage from when Chief Calvin met with President John F. Kennedy in the early 60s. So, um, so we have that video on on display with a commentary from Miss Olivet McGee who accompanied him on those trips. So we were lucky enough to get Miss Olivet in here to record a commentary for that trip. And so you get a, a personal idea of what it was like to go on these trips with Chief Calvin, and especially one where he met the leader of the free world, you know. So it's President the, John F. Kennedy. President John yep. F. Kennedy. So the work that he put in and, and some of the stories that we've heard along the way, just the, I mean, the deep dive we did to, to make this exhibit happen, uh, to, to make this exhibit happen. So one of the stories I heard was uh, Chief Calvin worked. He was a farmer. He worked on the house. He, he did a lot of things <clears throat> at his homestead. And so people would travel to see a real Indian chief, which is kind of bizarre to think about, but People would show up to Chief Calvin's house in Hogfort, in the Hogfort community, wanting to take a picture with him because he was an Indian chief. Chief Calvin would be up on top of the roof working. He would come down off the roof, go, go inside, get dressed, take a picture with those people, go back in, undress, get back on the roof and begin working again. That, just the stories that we heard and the things that we uncovered in this exhibit, and, and it's an exhibit that we want to bring we would love to take it places. We would, I mean, we want to share this exhibit with, with as many people as we can because the amount of work that went into it and what we uncovered about our first look at the chief was just absolutely fascinating. Yeah, because originally we had thought about putting, you know, letting it stay up for three months and then doing another exhibit. But by the time that we had finished this exhibit, we we're like, no, this is going to stay up for, for a longer amount of time. I can't blame y'all for that, but I do have something that you both may find interesting to add to the Calvin McGee story. So recently, my husband and I were in New Orleans, and we happened upon this gift shop, or not a gift shop, a bookstore, and they had all sorts of eclectic books in there and just, you know, books that had probably come from estate sales and paintings and just all sorts of different things like that and um, my husband found the indigenous history section and he's like hey come over here I found these really cool books and stuff and I was like okay so we're looking through the books and everything and he finds this booklet and he pulls it out and he's like well this looks really interesting this looks like it could be pretty fascinating I looked at it, and it is the Declaration of Indian Purpose, which, from what Ms. Olivet was saying, is one of the reasons Calvin met with JFK was to share that Declaration of Indian Purpose with him. Right. And that was something that was formulated at a um, Native American conference in Chicago. And when I saw that booklet, I was bamboozled. I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, get that here. <laughs> it's like it. a piece of you, isn't it? It's yeah. like, hey, this is awesome that it's like, here yes. in New Orleans and yes. I'm finding it. Yes. And I was like, get that here. Let me see that. <laughs> right. So we did have um, a copy of that book that you're talking about. And we had, we were going to give that away on the day that we did the Chief Calvin exhibit the opening ceremonies, so we do have those. Oh, so, good, yep. good, yeah. Because I saw it, and I was like, we, we have to have it. Well, that's kind of how we were when we were doing our research and we were looking up Calvin McGee. Let's look up Calvin McGee. Well, you will find all sorts of things on Calvin McGee mm -hmm. that are awesome that they mention in books. So we probably purchased at least four books. Yeah, that kind of helped us with the research. And of course, you know, some of you have to be careful because. You know, it's not accurate information, but sure. some of it was, and you know, just how influential Chief Calvin was. Yeah, and I and I think I think Chief Calvin's work is also such a testament to 
the power of networking. Yes. And I think he was a pioneer in lobbying and government relations and really kind of began that standard for what that looks like for the Port Tomato Creek Indians, um, which at the time was um, um, Creek Nation east of the Mississippi. Right. Um, So, Brandy, what what has been your favorite project that you've worked on since being here at the museum? So, I will... Yeah, I'm like Blake. So Chief Calvin was probably the one that was the most rewarding as far as finding those little nuggets of findings that we can kind of be like, hey, we we did this. We found this. We brought this back. But my favorite one would probably be our beloved women matriarchs of porch. Only because, well, one, I'm a woman and I have three girls. But um, also because our women are you hardly hear about the women. You hardly hear about their stories. We hear about the men. We hear about that. But, you know, at, historically, Creek women were very important. And, you know, so we wanted to do, you know, an, an exhibit that, you know, showcased the women. You know, who are these women, you know, within our tribe that kind of were special, but you never heard about, mm-hmm. you know. So, we did this beloved women um, exhibit in 2019 um, and showcased, you know, some of the women that, you know, were helping to get, you know, the Port Chandler Creek Indians established and that were behind, you know, Calvin and things like that, that helped with um, eventually with federal recognition and things like that. So after 2019, when we, ha- you know, <laughs> got hit with COVID, we were kind of like, okay, now we're going to have to turn our focus on online. What are we going to do? What can we do? You know, we need to think outside the box. So we actually wanted to do um, the matriarch exhibit. We wanted to you know, showcase it in May in 2020, but we wanted to add a different spin. So um, on our Facebook page, we we did the, um, the matriarch, but we kind of added a spin to it. So we took everyone within the cultural department and we said, hey, we want to hear your beloved woman, your matriarch. Who do you want to talk about? So everyone in the cultural department were able to submit you know, their information about that one true special woman. And at that time, you know, I I didn't want to be out in the front center, you know, in the front center. But I thought that my grandmother, even though she, you know, wasn't, there wasn't anything special about her as far as like, you know, she wasn't a well-spoken person. She wasn't, you know, but she was special in her own way. So I was like, I didn't want to take that time. I wanted everyone else, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to put my own granny mm-hmm. in there. I'm going to, you know, cause I want to, I want people to know who my granny was. And the cool thing about that was when people started to share their own stories of their, you know, their grandmothers and things around here, the great grandmothers, we had people that were responding and commenting on the Facebook page. Like, I remember your granny. I remember she loved the Lord so much. She was singing these songs. I remember, you know, and to me, that was that was my favorite because it opened the door and it made our women um, vivid and out front and center. And what a wonderful testament to how we each, in our own way, touch lives, right? And don't even realize well, it. Another thing that, like my own granny, so her mom died like an hour after she was raised. I mean, after she was born. Um, so the community, what, you know, a lot of people didn't know the community, the community praised my granny, you know, so if it hadn't been, and that, it ain't just my granny, but I hear this all over, you know, like, yeah, you know, so she, um, a lot of people took care of my granny and, you know, raised her. And, you know, I think that's just how we are as porch people, you know, we fill in where we can and, Mm -hmm. you know, that was her story, how she fit into the porch community and how, you know, her life how her life was, you know, exposed and things like that. So that was my favorite exhibit. So what happens to these exhibits once they have kind of lived their life, you know, here in in the front lobby or wherever you have them? What happens to those exhibits after that? Well, I think that, um, again, museum exhibits, they're they're never stagnant because I think we can always add to it – we can add more information. There's people that are coming through the museum. I think we can recirculate them mm-hmm. um, in a couple of years. I think it'll be awesome that we put the beloved women back up and then we pull more stories in from, you know, they're, 
when we talk about beloved women a porch, we are we only we only touch the surface. Sure. I mean, we only showcase maybe ten. And um, again, this is our opportunity for us to showcase, you know, people that would love to put their story out there of their people and, you know, hear that story. So I, I really do not ever think that an exhibit expires. Okay. I love That's that. my personal opinion. I love that because, and I'll tell you, um, there are people that probably weren't aware for XYZ reason that, you know, that exhibit was there. And so I think it'd be great if there's a place to showcase it or, you know, exhibit it at a later date and time and um, and recirculate and add to it. I think right. that's a wonderful idea. Yeah, we have um, the Beloved Women is still on our Facebook page if anyone wants to check it out because, you know, it's it's still on there. So And is, is that the um, museum's Facebook page? It is. Okay, it is. is it Port Phantom Creek Indians Museum? And gift shop. And gift shop. And gift shop. Okay. All right. So if anybody wants more information about the museum or the gift shop or wants to see previous exhibits and stay up to date, then they should follow Porch Band of Creek Indians Museum and gift shop. Right, because I know that um, there was another one that we did, um, you know, when we were shut down. Again, we were trying to, the pandemics, um, again, it's on there. So we have a lot of links to that Facebook page. Okay. You know, we have our orientation story. We have um, our video that's on there. We have our YouTube um, page I mean, on there. We have tons of information on there. So we have uh, artists and spotlights through the gift shop. We have uh, links to the exhibits that we have put online, like the matriarch exhibit and the pandemics exhibit, which is an exhibit that focuses on how Native Americans handled pandemics in the past and how, how they could protect against future pandemics as well. So, we use that Facebook page as an outlet for a lot of information. So whether we're having an event um, um, or anything that the public needs to know about, we'll, we'll share it there. So so after working in the museum, you've been here for three years. Brandy, you've been here for six years. Six years. If there was one thing that you wish the general public knew about the Forge Band of Creek Indians or even just Native American culture and history in general, for you, Brandy, what would that one thing be? Um, I would just say that we're still here. We're still, you know, we're still here. We've been here. We have never left as far as being, you know, Creek people. Um, and what's so fascinating is we're still walking those same um, lands that our ancestors have walked before. We're here. Um, and I like to showcase that, you know, we're not the... Plains Indian style wearing people that we have our own culture. So I think when me and Blake, you know, we do a tour, we like to, you know, kind of crack down on those myths that, you know, people carry that, you know, we like to break those and say, you know, we have our own culture. Porch Vanna Creek, one, we have our Porch Vanna Creek culture. We have Creek culture, like we have history. So that, that to me would be that we're still here and we're still functioning as a sovereign nation that we've always done. And Blake, for you, um, if there was one thing that you wish the general public knew either about Port Spanish Creek Indians or Native American people in general, what would that be? Yeah, I, I would like to pick back off what Brandon said, that we are still here and that there are over 570 plus federally recognized tribes as well as thousands of other tribes that each all, all have their own language, their own, their own dance, their own um, games. So to group everyone together, but to know that all these tribes have their own special ways about them, you know? So, and, and for us, we have our own culture, our own ways that are special to us. And so, like Brandon said, when we have tours come in here, we like to debunk a few of those myths and stereotypes, but also showcase that we have our own traditional ways that have gone 500 to 1,000 years ago, you know? And I think, um, too, you know, because I was going to ask you, well, you know, can you explain the significance of Chief Calvin wearing the headdress, and we, which you did a beautiful job of that, Blake. Um, but I think it's also important to say, like, just because this is what you see, you need to understand the story behind, behind why he wore this. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so there, there again, so it kind of dispels that stereotype you're and, putting everything in context yeah. because without the information, it's like, 
but we are able to provide that information. Like, here's the reason why, and this is where it got us by him doing that. That's so. right. Absolutely. So, and since working here, I've learned to not take everything at face value because there's always a deeper meaning behind every every photo you see, every video you see. Uh, and you actually have to reach and learn instead of taking everything at face value. Mm. Which has kind of opened the our own eyes and like, okay, like what you see is not always what meets the eye. You know, always keep your mind open to other ideas, other culture, other, you know. One photo so, cannot tell a full story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so um, a follow-up question Brandy, what one thing do you wish our own tribal citizens knew about the Porch Band of Creek Indians? Can I think about that? Sure. Like, what about you? Uh, what one thing, one thing about the our own people mm-hmm. we know? Or, or about they know that they would like to know about the museum or just... Just in general. In general. What, in general. what one thing do you wish the Porch Band... Like, if you're... Like our own people mm-hmm. would want to know. Th- that's a tough question because... Yeah, I kind of... Because you don't want to assume that everyone doesn't know yeah. everything yeah, or doesn't know anything. So why don't we talk about, um, so what are, what's coming up? What's next for the museum? What's coming up? Oh, we have a lot of exciting things coming up. So we realized that 2022 is our year. So being closed for, what, a year and a half, Blake? I think that we kind of opened our doors and we're in full force now. So we realized that 2022 is our 10-year anniversary for the museum. Oh, wow. So, again, we're going to be putting up, you know, something special for that, which will be in October. Um, we also have the 50th anniversary for our powwow, which we will be doing an exhibit for that. On the 50th annual powwow. Oh, in so October. Gonna, so, the plan is, without spoiling too much, but we have <laughs> plans to uh, do this exhibit focused on the powwow throughout the year. So, we have old flyers, old footage, so we have, and I'll stop there. So, but we do have some, <laughs> we do have some cool stuff coming. So, oh, that's uh, a little bit before uh, before the powwow, that exhibit will go up. But we do have a fiftieth uh, annual powwow exhibit that is going to focus on the first forty nine. All right, that's right, awesome. and we are projecting like next year. We've already kind of got some exhibits that we're planning. So, you know, Chief Calvin. Our porch leaders, that was chapter one. So next year we'll be doing chapter two and focusing on one of the leaders of our tribe as well. So we already have some things that are, you know, going on. So. Oh, awesome. I'm so excited. Yeah, y'all. we are too. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you this. Blake, for you, what is your vision for the museum in five years and then in 10 years? Um, That one is... I could go for days, but the, I think to grow, um, to create uh, a campus, I guess you could say, for learning. You know, we're right here on the reservation. Um, so we want people, tribal members, we want the general public to come in and to learn. And so we want to increase our knowledge and then, and hopefully soon one day we can make this building even bigger. I mean, me and Brandy talk about it all the time, how we want to increase the size of this building because we have been working just this week alone. We've uh, been working in our vault, which not people are aware that we have a vault, but this vault houses a lot of uh, artifacts and a lot of uh, items that have been donated by our tribal members and people that have passed on. And that's and it's stuff that we want to share with people. But with the space that we have, we're only able to rotate one exhibit at a time. So... You may come one year and you come. You may not be able to make it the next year, so you may miss out on an exhibit, may miss out on an item that you really probably could have seen. So to create a bigger building, and, and I know that's a discussion for other people, but to we want to create a campus for learning, you know? Um, um, memorials, um, living history exhibits, you name it, I mean, our brains are huge when it comes to what we want to move forward with. Yeah, I think we have more ideas than time sometimes exactly. <laughs> because we're Absolutely. like, oh my goodness, we need to do that. We need to do this exhibit. We need to do that. So we have great ideas, but it's just like, you know, putting yeah. it into motion. Like I mentioned earlier, I, I have a Google Docs page that is three pages long filled with potential exhibit ideas. 
And you can only do three a year with the space that we have. Well, and that's kind of how it is at the museum. We can tell a story, but we're we're trying to tell a story of thousands of years. So in a one hour tour. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like sometimes it's it's challenging. But again, if you plant the seed, to me, it makes people go and they're like, okay, she had mentioned that, but she didn't really iterate on it. But I'm going to go look that up. Mm-hmm. So it's like just planting that seed of knowledge that... We cannot get all the information to you, but we can give you a little bit that will make you understand who we are as Porch Creek. And Brandy, if people wanted to come visit the museum, um, is there an admission fee? So we're open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, and there is no admission, you know, fee to come in. And a lot of people are shocked by that. Um, So it is a great museum. I welcome anyone to come in here. Um, we also, so the out-of-towners, like, if you can't come, we also have that Facebook page that we were talking about that has a lot of information. And, um, you know, for our out-of-towners that can't come, you know, they can go on our Facebook page and, you know, get as much information as, you know, here. It's not the same, but, you know, we try to make it to where they can. And if they had specific questions, who could they reach out to? Well, we have a, um, a museum. It's, I think it's a museum Dot gov and they can send us emails they can call you know we have all of our information on that museum facebook page they can get in touch with me blake carmen nikki um as well as so when we were down in 2020 you know we were doing curbside but we wanted to offer products to out-of-towners as well so we um implemented the online gift shop mm. so you know that's another program that we regulate we're not only a museum but we're also or a gift shop that's offering, you know, logo items and things to the public. So that's online as well. So we have our online gift shop as well. Well, you guys, I have enjoyed my time so much with both of you. And I'm so excited about the things that you're doing here and the things that you're bringing to our community and to the general public at large. And um, I commend you both for the hard work that you're doing and for the vision that you have. And I wish you both all the very best. Thank you. Thank Thank you for having us. Thank you. This is awesome. Thank you for listening to A Place Called Porch. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can visit our website, porchcreekindians.org, for more information, or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram.